Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. Morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Welcome here to all of you who are visitors and, and to you who come regularly. I guess welcome to you as well. Um, we're so glad to have you all with us this morning. And uh, I don't have any updates or, or announcements to begin my message today. I almost feel like it's a little bit empty, but um, we're working our way, if you're new here, we're working our way through the book of Luke. And as I keep saying, just for those who are new who haven't been with us, I'm not working through the book of Luke verse by verse by verse. It would take too long. What I'm trying to do is, is uh, take one thing out of a chapter, leave everything else, move on to the next chapter. And uh, I, may, I just switched the orders uh, last week and this week. Uh, last week I did chapter 8. Uh, today I want to do chapter 7 just simply because of some of the things I wanted to get to with prayer and fasting. Um, but uh, I had a, uh, one of those, uh, it, this is a bad experience for a preacher to have usually. Yes, yesterday morning I was mostly finished the, the, uh, the message. And I just happened, I, and I, I, there's just some stuff, some other stuff I was having to look up. I don't usually have to do this. But anyway, as I was looking up the message, uh, some stuff from the previous in the series... Uh, I remembered that Tom had actually spoken uh, on, in this series, and I had actually allowed a staff person to speak as part of one of this, part of a, a series I'm preaching, and, and I don't think I'm ever going to do that again because of what happened. As I looked, I realized that back in October, so today I'm going to speak out of chapter 7, I'm going to speak on the centurion's faith, and back in October, Tom actually preached, he randomly picked chapter 7, and he preached on the centurion's faith. So the, this weekend, I'm spending correcting everything he said in that message, <laughs> and uh, and hopefully fixing it. No, actually, fortunately, I looked at it, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, how did I not remember this? I was here for that weekend. But fortunately, he totally focused in on some stuff that I had no time to get to. And, uh, and so it'll be a totally different message, and I get to focus on a different part of the story than what, than what he did. But interesting, I guess God in his plan uh, wanted it this way, and that's what we're doing. And, uh, and I'm excited about it, because I think, uh, well, I know, you're going to be encouraged today. I, th- I think, God, I really feel like this weekend out of this story about the centurion's faith, I think that God wants to impart uh, faith for us this weekend. And uh, he was already doing it last night. Um, but I, think he, I just think for each one of us here today, he wants to impart uh, just a word of, of faith for our lives and for prayer. And I think it's going to be an encouragement to you. So I'm going to read it, and then, uh, and then we're going to pray, and we'll get going. But anyway, chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, After he had finished, that's Jesus, all his sayings in the hearing of the people... He entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Why don't we just pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Uh, Lord Jesus, we each come here with uh, desires and needs and, and uh, challenges and struggles in our lives. And yet you are the one who is the answer to all of our problems. 
And I just pray today that for each one of us who came to church this morning, that you're gonna bless us with faith for our situation. You're gonna give us hope. And Lord, that you're gonna encourage us and grow us in prayer and in faith as a church. As in your precious, wonderful, powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, I wanna start, uh, I always like, I always seem to get stuck on some of the very simple, obvious things in some of these stories and that I hope we never take for granted. And the first thing that just stuck out to me is, as I was meditating on this story this week, you know, verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And then it says, and Jesus went with them. And can we please, can this just never get old to us? Can we just never get tired of this? Uh, the God of the universe, this is God in the flesh. He made everything that exists with the word of his mouth. This centurion is not part of his inner circle. He's not part of his family. Nothing like this. This centurion, I mean, obviously God knows every human being on earth, but Jesus in the flesh, the centurion has no connection with him. They've never met before. And this, so this centurion has no call on Jesus' life. He has, he, Jesus doesn't owe him anything. Nothing like that. He sends his servant, and remember how busy Jesus is. As we've, as we've been going through this series, we've you know, covered eight chapters in this series, and how often over and over again do we find that Jesus is very busy? And remember, he's God, but he's God in the flesh. So he's, he's God, but he's fully human. So he experiences tiredness like we do. He experiences exhaustion like we do. And throughout this series, as we've gone, we've seen that everywhere he goes, he's doing ministry, 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 ministry all day long. Everywhere he goes, Crowds of people are, are following him, right? They're clamoring around him. He's not, you know, he's not getting chauffeured around in an air-conditioned limo, popping out for an hour message, back in the air conditioning and moving on. He's walking everywhere he goes, town to town, village to village, and everywhere he goes, everybody wants a piece of him. Okay, those of you who are parents, even just with a couple of kids who want your attention all the time, isn't it exhausting? But can you imagine having whole towns and villages following you, clamoring for your attention, needing healing, needing this, needing that, needing help for their kids, needing help for their spouse, needing help for their family member. Everywhere he goes, he's constantly needed and people flocking to him. And now he gets another request. What would you and I do in that situation? That's what I was thinking about this week. What would you and I do in that situation? You're just constantly being asked, I need this, I need that, from morning till night. And now this guy sends you know, a message, my servant needs healing. I think for most of us, we'd say, you know what? That's not part of my, that's not part of my calling right now. Okay, I've got enough to do. I'm busy enough. And uh, sorry, I don't have time for you. Okay, maybe if you care a little bit more, right? If you, if you care a little bit more, you might say, um, you know, you, if you get your servant there, okay, don't ask me to come to your house, but, uh, you know, you get your servant on a, on a sled or a handcart and, and drag him out on the, you know, and if he meets me, if you meet me where I'm headed, sure, I'll, I'll pray over him or bless him. And Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. It just says, the centurion asks, sends messengers to ask, my servant needs healing. And here we have the God of the universe. Everybody needs and wants him. And it just says, and Jesus went with them. I hope we never get tired of that. Why would Jesus, and again, this is showing us God's heart, because when we see Jesus, we're actually seeing God. God in the flesh. Why would Jesus, and, this is, and it's not just this story, it's all throughout the Gospels. People ask, he goes. I need help, he comes. Every time, just, you send a messenger, and Jesus just goes with them. He just turns and he walks and he goes out of his way and he ministers to someone else. Why is he like this? Because he cares. 
He just cares that deeply. It's amazing. And like I said, I hope we never get tired of it. But this is the Father's heart. The Father's heart, and we're seeing the Father's heart in Jesus. The Father's heart is when his children call, he comes. When his children need something, he comes. Those of you who are parents, uh, isn't it true that if your, if your kids call to you, now, I, now there are different kinds of calls, right? There are certain, there are certain calls where you actually, you, you try to hide, you try to get away. But that's a whole different topic. But when they actually really need something, isn't it true, if you're a parent here today, if your kids need something, you know they need something, isn't it true that the moment you hear the call, you're moving already? If, if they need help, if they're in distress, the moment the call comes, it's not like, okay, you know what, I'm going to slot that in in an hour or whatever, or I'm going to first get these, you know, couple of things done, and I'm going to come to you. The moment they call, that's a, father, that's, a, that's a parent's heart. If they are in distress, if they need help, we're moving um, immediately. It, it actually reminds me of a story, and uh, I, I, I think I've told this before already, but it uh, just, re- just reminds me of a, a story from a few years ago. I can't remember exactly when, but several years ago now, and our kids are a bit smaller, but uh, I think it was a Tuesday, and I had been in some uh, meetings, and I, I came back to my, my uh, office, and there was a little uh, red light on the phone in my office, which means that I had a, had a message. I did some, a little bit, a couple other things first, and I thought, well, I better just check uh, who that message is from. So I, I pick up my phone, I listen to, to the voice message, and it's my daughter, Joy, younger than she is now, because it's several years ago now, but it sounds like she's just about to cry, and she says to me, she says, uh, mommy got really mad and, and, and left the house, and us kids are here alone. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I look at the time on the message, I'm like, that's over an hour ago. What in the world? So I quickly dial up the house, and we have an old-fashioned uh, landline and voicemails, you know, where you can still speak out loud and everybody in the house can hear it. So I'm on the answer machine at home, and I'm like, Ron, are you home yet? Joy, anybody home? You want to just, could you pick up? I just got this message. And nobody picks up, and I'm starting, you know, as a dad now, the heart rate's starting to go up, and I hang up, and I dial the phone again, and I, is anybody home? Joy, if, if you're home, you need to pick up. Nothing. Well, now, right? Again, fa- what's the father's heart, right? Do I, at this point, am I like, well, you know, I don't really have time for this. I'm gonna, I got another meeting. I got some tasks to do, and then I'll get to this. No, no, it's right now, drop everything barge into my dad's office down the hall, no greetings, no knocking, nothing. I just grab his keys. I'm like, I got to go. And I jump in his car and I take off. Now, I know we have some RCMP officers in attendance here, so I don't want to incriminate myself. I didn't, I, I, I didn't speak. Maybe a little bit I was over the speed limit a couple of times when I wasn't paying attention, but I always brought it right back down uh, to the maximum. Um, I got to the, when I got to the four-way stops, I, I mostly stopped. I'm pretty sure I was almost fully stopped, but you know how it goes. Anyway, I, I, I rip up onto the driveway, and I, I fling the front door open, and I'm like, kids, is anybody home? Is mom home yet? LaDon, are you here? And, it, and it's totally quiet for a moment. And then all the kids in LaDon jump out from behind a wall, and they say, April Fools! <laughs> People, uh... I don't know why you're clapping. I have, I have people ask me something, so how did you take that? And my question always is, how would you take that? How would you take that? I think my exact words were something to the effect of, and I had to be very calm because, because there was emotions bubbling up in me. It was, 
this will be very funny to daddy in a few days. <laughs> and then I went back to work. Now, I don't know totally what that has to do with, with Luke, except that um, it's God's heart towards us, right? It's God's, that's what a father's heart. When, when, when your kid, when, and, and how much more is God's heart towards us, right? Like when I get that phone call from Joy, it's, it's not a matter, I'm not, you know, I, again, I'm not taking my time. I'm not slotting it in. The moment I, you know, if she's in distress and she has a need, the moment she calls, I'm moving. The moment she calls, I'm moving. Now, the thing is, how much more God? I mean, is he, does he not love us? As, is it not infinitely more love? I mean, that feeling I have for my kids is actually just a picture. It's just to help us see what he feels for us. He's just put a shadow into every parent of what he feels for all of his kids. So when you call to him, it's just like that. Just like the moment that happens, I'm dropping everything, I'm moving. The moment, and we see that in the Gospels, the centurion sends these messengers. I, I need help. And it just says, and Jesus went with them. It's not even a question. It's just, and Jesus went with them. He just went with them. Because that's the Father's heart. His, his kids cry, and he answers. Now, of course, some of you might be sitting there, and you might be wondering, well, that's all fine and good, Chris. And you can use this illustration. And we all know as humans, you know, as parents, if our kids cry out, then we're, we're going. But it sure doesn't seem like that with God because maybe you have some things you've been praying about for a long, long time and you just don't seem to be, get, being get, like, to be getting any answers. So it's all fine for me to share an illustration like that and say that's the Father's heart and we look at a couple stories in the Gospels and Jesus responds. But you might be sitting in your life and you might be sitting back and going, yeah, but that's not actually how it works because I've got things I've been praying about for months or I've got things I've been praying about for years and, it does, and I don't seem to get anything. It doesn't seem like God is responding at all. So sure, that's a neat little illustration and sure, there's a couple of neat stories in the Gospels, but why is it that if God's heart towards me is a father's heart to his kids, that if I'm in need, he wants to answer my call, then why does it take so long to get our prayers uh, answered. And, uh, you know, there's a parable that even seems to reinforce this whole thing. And since we're in a study of the book of Luke, I'm going to go there. It's Luke 18, the parable of the pers persistent widow. But this parable almost seems to reinforce this idea that when we call, God doesn't want to answer. It's almost like in order to get God to care, you have to keep asking and asking and asking and asking and asking. Eventually, you kind of break him down. And now, fine, I'll give you your answer. That's how a lot of us when we're praying, we don't have a confidence. The moment I pray, God is answering and moving. We feel like when we're praying that we're actually, a lot of us subconsciously when we're praying, we feel like we're having to convince God. Please want, please, if I, I need to convince you to want to answer this prayer. And this parable sometimes seems to reinforce that idea. So let's just read the parable, the parable of the persistent widow. And uh, Luke 18, verse 1, and, and Jesus told him a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not Give up. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Uh, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him, uh, day and night. So again, doesn't this parable seem to make it, it seems like God's the unrighteous judge. Doesn't it seem that way? And so you read this parable and it seems to, this seems to be the opposite of God's heart is to answer us. Like I just showed you, you know, I just said God's heart is to answer you 
and that when you cry, he's moving, he's not taking his time, this parable seems to say, God doesn't really want to answer you, and you just have to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and eventually you break him down. So how do we explain that, and what does a parable like this actually mean? Now, first thing you have to understand is parables are just pictures meant to illustrate a particular truth. That's the first thing. When you're, when you're studying a parable, you're not trying to learn everything there is to learn about God and a Christian life from one parable. A parable is only meant to illustrate the, a truth or a couple of truths. It's specifically aimed at something. Everything else is just part of the story, part of the context of that parable. It's not actually necessarily teaching about the Christian life. So the first thing you have to understand about this parable is this parable is not about God's heart towards you. God is not the unrighteous judge, and God's heart is nothing like the unrighteous judge in this parable. This parable is meant to illustrate a specific truth, and everything about the unrighteous judge doesn't tell us anything about God. So, and I'll just prove this to you. Let's just go to verse 1 quickly here. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So the purpose of this parable is not to teach us what God's heart is toward us when we pray. It's only supposed to illustrate to us that we're supposed to persist when we pray. Everything else, you can't, you don't learn anything about God from the unrighteous judge. God is not like the unrighteous judge. Okay? The only thing we're learning from this parable is that you should persist. Okay? That's a, that's a, uh, really important point. In fact, if you go to the end of the parable, I left out a verse at the end. If we go back to verses 7 and 8, I'm, I'll show you this. Jesus finishes up the parable by saying this. Will he, that's God, delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So there, we see it again. He will give justice to them speedily. So that's just what I was talking about before, that the Father's heart is, when we cry out to him, he's answering. When we call out to him in distress, he's moving. He's moving speedily. He doesn't delay. But at the same time, this just seems like a contradiction then. Well, what kind of a, of a parable is this then? On the one hand, you have to persist and persist and persist and persist. You might have to pray for a long, 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 long time until you get the answer because God answers so quickly. That doesn't seem to make any sense. How is it that God's heart can be speedily, he, the moment I ask, the moment I call out to him, he's moving, but at the same time, I have to persist because sometimes I don't see an answer to prayer for a long time. Well, to answer that question, I want to go to another passage, and we're going to work our way back to the centurion, but if we go to Daniel chapter 10, very interesting passage, and I want to bring these things together, God's heart to answer, and why those answers, we sometimes don't see them for a while. Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, in those days I, that's Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So this is a great passage to be looking at in prayer and fasting month. Daniel is fasting, okay? So for three weeks, this is a serious fast. In fact, it's such a serious fast, it looks like he's not even really bathing, okay? So that's, uh, that's a very serious fast, and so not one that I would recommend if any of you do uh, here itself in this month. But anyway, verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, so he, and so for three weeks, okay, seeking God, fasting, seeking God and fasting, okay? On the 24th day of the first month, at the end of the three weeks, right? As I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist, okay? So three weeks he's praying. So for three weeks, he doesn't see any answer. He's praying, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying. Finally, after three weeks, he gets a breakthrough, and this angel appears to him, and God's going to answer his, his prayer and speak to him, right? So skip ahead a few verses. There's, there's description of the angel there and stuff. We're just going to leave that behind. Verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. And by the way, again, I underline that. I just, again, I hope we never get tired of that. I hope that never gets cold to us. 
uh, or old to us, I should say, not cold, but uh, I mean, you think back to Christmas, I, I preached that message about Mary, you know, favored one, and, and God speaking to Gideon, a uh, mighty man of valor. When God sends this messenger to Daniel, look at how the greeting starts, old man, greatly loved. It's just amazing that God loves us so much. Oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. Have you ever thought that God, you know, when you're listening to him in your journal, do you ever get stuff like that? Because if you're not, it's not because he's not saying it, it's because you're not receiving it. Do you ever think when you're, when you're praying and you're having a conversation with Jesus, have you, ever, have you ever been able to receive those words, oh man, or oh daughter, or, or, or whatever, oh Daniel, man, greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I've been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Now, here's the next passage. This is the part. So three weeks, Daniel's fasting, 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 fasting. Finally, after three weeks, the angel comes. Now, look what, look what it says next. And this is the reason I want to come to this passage. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day. From the what? From the what? From the first day. From the first day. From the first moment. Okay. Now, maybe Daniel, during this three weeks, maybe he was thinking, I'm, I'm trying to, I got to try and convince God, because this is sometimes what we feel when we're praying big prayer requests. We almost feel like our prayers aren't getting anywhere, and we're trying to convince God to care. We're trying to convince him to answer. I don't know if Daniel felt like that during the three weeks, because for three weeks, he wasn't seeing any kind of movement. But the angel, if that is what Daniel was thinking at any point during those three weeks, the angel immediately corrects that impression here. He says, at no point during the three weeks did Daniel have to convince God to act. From the moment, from the first moment, from the first day, Daniel began to cry out to God. God began to move and answer. God's heart was not, you know, I got a couple other appointments, Daniel. I'm kind of busy, and uh, may, I'll, I'll see if I can care about your request in three weeks when I have some time. No, from the first day, from the first moment, Daniel calls to God, God is already answering. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So the question is, well, why did it take three weeks? If God, I mean, this is the whole question we've been asking for the last 10 minutes here is, why, why does it take so long? If God's heart is to answer, if God is moving the moment I call, why does it take so long sometimes to get the answer? Well, in this case, in this specific situation, we're going to see a specific reason. We go to the next verse. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. So this is a demonic uh, principality over all of the empire of Persia, which was the biggest empire of the, at the time. The uh, prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, it's so one of the good guys, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So the angel says to Daniel, from the moment you began to pray, God sent. He heard and he sent. But the reason you didn't get the answer was because a battle had to, there was a battle going on. You couldn't see it. See, Daniel, we, we, we pray these prayer requests, and we have no idea what's happening in the spiritual realm. To us, it just looks like nothing's happening. To Daniel, he's praying and fasting. Three weeks, he's praying and praying and praying and praying. To him, he sees nothing happening. He doesn't realize the moment he called out to God, he sparked this titanic wrestling match in the heavenlies between these gigantic, you know, angelic principalities. And he didn't realize that God was moving immediately and there's things happening behind the scenes, massive things, and he had to keep praying, not because he had to convince God to answer, but because the battle had to be won in order for the answer to break through. Does that make sense? Now this totally, when you, when you, get, when you get this, 
Okay? It totally changes your feeling. It totally changes your faith levels. It totally changes your perspective as you're praying. Now when you're praying, you're not trying to convince God. Oh, God, would you please care? I'm praying for my kid this. I'm praying this for my marriage. I'm praying this for this big thing. I need guidance, whatever it is. And you think that your prayers aren't getting anywhere and you feel like God doesn't care because you don't see anything happening. When you realize, actually, there is a whole bunch of things happening in the heavenlies right now. And the moment I began to pray, God began to answer. I just can't see the answer yet and I have to persist until the gears all finish turning. Now, in, in most cases when we're praying, you know, it's not spiritual warfare at the level. Like Daniel was praying about stuff that had to do with the end times. It's in the scripture, you know, that kind of stuff. Most of our prayer requests don't involve wrestling matches between, you know, the principalities of empires, okay? Most, at least my prayer request, I don't know what you're praying, but my prayer requests, uh, mostly I don't think they involve, you know, the principality of Canada and the principality of Mexico clashing, okay? Uh, but there's spiritual warfare at a different level. We, but we don't know. This is just one example. This is one specific situation. There's all kinds of things that we have no idea that go into answering a prayer. Often there's spiritual warfare at some level. If your prayer request touches people, which most of our prayer requests do, there may be spiritual warfare at some level, maybe not at the level that Daniel's prayer request was at, but at some level, but there's all kinds of other things too. When you pray a prayer request, there's things God wants to change in you as part of the prayer request. Most of our prayer requests end up with God also doing something in us. And how many of you know that we don't change very quickly for the most part? And if your prayer request touches on other people, there's stuff he's got to change in them. And that does, that takes, then you've got the whole thing of God's got this big sovereign plan that's moving, this huge sovereign plan for the universe and for human history. And now here's you with your needs and prayer requests, and he loves you so much, and he's got to tie in all the timing. How does all this weave into his plan? He's tying all this together and all this timing and hundreds of other things I can't even think of. So now you call out to him, and the moment you call out to him, he's a dad, you're his kid, and he is moving. If you call out to him with a sincere heart, and you need his help, he is already moving. You call, he is moving. But you don't always see it happening, but behind the scenes, Daniel couldn't see it either, gears are turning. The moment you began to pray, gears began to turn, and God began to answer. And that's why one of the one of the big things, we just have to not fall into that trap of not having faith and feeling like God doesn't care. One of the things I've been learning at a new level, these are things we've learned before, and Pastor Ray has taught us over the years, but one of the things that I've been learning at a new level again the last couple of months is learning to be thankful in advance before you get the answer to your prayer. Because when you realize, again, this is just a whole new way of praying. It's just a whole new paradigm. Rather than always feeling like our prayers aren't being answered and God doesn't care, when you actually begin to really believe, I have prayed today and I, and I need God's help. And just knowing those two things, I have prayed today and I need God's help, means I know a third thing, God is moving. Because I asked him to. And that's his heart towards me. When you realize that it changes how you pray, it's going to build you up with so much faith. And more and more what I find is in order to stir that perspective, I spend more and more time when I'm asking God for things, I spend time thanking him in advance for how he's already moving. Because it just changes the way you pray. So I'll go to God and I'll bring whatever it is, prayer requests for your kids or prayer requests for something for me, you know, because I'm here at church, so for me it'll be something here at church or family or whatever it is, and I'll bring it to him. But then instead of just bringing it to him and moving on to the next thing, I'll say, Lord, this is my need. You can see my heart. And I'm telling him what I want and what I desire and what I'm hoping he'll do. 
And then at a certain point, I just flip. I don't spend tons and tons of time there before I go to Thanksgiving, and I just begin to thank him. Thank you, Jesus, that you've heard my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you're already moving. Just like Daniel, I've called out to you today, and there's things happening in the heavenlies already. I just can't even believe it, Jesus. I start to just praise him. Thank you, Lord. I start to look forward. Lord, I, I am so looking forward to how we're going to see this work out. I'm going to keep praising you this whole time until I see the answer. I can hardly wait to see how the answer is going to be packaged and how you're going to bring this thing about. But you just begin to be thankful in advance because you know his heart is to answer and that he is answering. And when we thank him like that in advance, it will remind us every time we pray that he loves us and that he's good and that we don't have to convince him to act. And it will, it literally will revolutionize your prayer life. It'll fill you with faith. And I, now I know some of you might be sitting there, you might be thinking, um, okay, this is all good. You know, a little bit the centurion there, a little bit the, you know, the persistent widow. We looked at Daniel. But this whole thing, like, are you just making that up about the being thankful while you ask? Like, I'd really like to see that in Scripture. You might be thinking that here today. And I just love that about you guys. You always want me to, to bring it to you in Scripture. So I'm glad that you were thinking that. So let's just go to Philippians chapter 4, because Philippians chapter 4 actually says exactly what I just told you. Okay, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, says this. Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Are you reading that? Always? Rejoice in the Lord. Always? Like in every... Rejoice in the Lord. Always? Really, Paul? Is that, is that practical? Is that possible? Like I've got prayer requests I'm praying that they don't look good. I haven't seen an answer yet. I don't see a lot of hope in the physical realm that it could be answered. How on earth could I rejoice in the Lord in that? But Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case we're tempted to think that was a mistake, he repeats himself again, I will say rejoice. So he, he didn't make a mistake. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always? What, what about this thing I'm worried about with my kids? I'm praying this big thing for my kids, or I'm really worried about my kids. And Paul will say, whoa, 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 whoa. Rejoice in the Lord always. Even, even in this, always. How about this thing over here that I haven't seen you do, or this thing in my family, or this thing in my marriage, or this thing in my finances? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, how on earth can you say that, Paul? How can we rejoice in the Lord in all of these things in prayer? Well, let's keep going, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Okay, first thing. The moment you call out to the Lord and you need help with a sincere heart, and sincere just means you just need God. Oh, God, I need your help in this situation. The moment you call out to him, the Lord is at hand. He's near. He's close. He's answering. You can't see it yet. It's moving in the heavenlies, but he is already answering, and he is near. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. What have you felt anxious about recently? Cross that off the list of what you should be anxious about. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, now he's going to give us the formula, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. By prayer and supplication. So prayer and supplication, that's the part where we just go to God and ask because we know he wants to answer. So by prayer and supplication, I bring him these requests. I desperately need your help, Jesus, with this. I desperately need you to, to move in this. I desperately desire this with prayer and supplication. But what do you do with the prayer and supplication before you even see the answer? With thanksgiving. Prayer and supplication goes together with thanksgiving. 
Before you even see the answer to your prayers, you're already thanking God in advance. Well, how could I be thanking God in advance? Because you know from Scripture, He's already moving and answering. You just haven't seen it yet. You're not convincing God to answer. He's already answering. So you get to be thankful and living in victory even long before you ever see the answer. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, right? Oh, isn't this amazing? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you learn to pray like this, you're going to like praying a lot better. Some of you in your prayers, you just end up worrying more, right? Because you bring God your requests and you just bring your requests and the more you pray about them, the more you just realize, oh man, I'm in trouble. But when you learn to pray with thanksgiving, believing and praying and speaking, knowing that he is his hardest to answer you and that he is already moving and answering in response to your prayers, you're going to be built up with faith. You will look forward to your prayer times. You'll look forward to your, to your prayer times. The only people who lose in this whole scenario are those who don't ask. And I want to go back to the centurion here, back to Luke 7 and the centurion. If we go back there, we're going to find something else that's really obvious and really simple, but I think we just often overlook it. Why did Jesus heal the centurion's servant? Was it because the centurion was such a great guy? Was it because, you know, well, Jesus is God, so he just knew that he needed a healing. So Jesus was just walking along, and he just knew, oh, there's a servant over there that needs healing, and he went over there and healed him. That is not the story, is it? It's not the story. The centurion's servant got healed because the centurion asked. Look at this. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. This might seem really obvious, but if the centurion doesn't ask, he doesn't get, the, he doesn't get his miracle. Isn't that true? I wonder how many other people living in the vicinity right there with the centurion had needs just as big as the centurion's, but we don't know their stories because they don't have a story because they didn't ask. They just didn't ask. I wonder how many people had other needs just as big as the centurion's, but we don't know their stories because there is no story for them because they didn't ask. Why did the centurion get... Again, sometimes people have this, this uh, kind of idea of fatalism it's almost like, you know, um, well, I just trust God's plan, and I just trust him, and he's just, whatever, he's just going to do it, and I just trust whatever his will is for my life. Well, first of all, there is a whole lot of good in that statement. There is a whole lot of good in that statement. First of all, God is sovereign, amen, yes. And he does have a plan for your life, amen, and we can totally trust him with that. And there's a million things that happen to us in our li lives that we never prayed for, that we never saw coming, because that was just all part of his plan. We didn't know about it. We didn't have to pray about it. And he did it anyway. Why? Because he does have a plan. And he is the master of the universe and sovereign. And there's a whole bunch of things he's going to do, whether you and I pray or not, because he is sovereign. But, but, he wants a relationship with you. And there are lots of things in your life that unless you ask, unless you go to him and plead with him and ask him, you will not receive them. And in this case, the centurion received because he asked. And I wonder how many of us here today, there's stories that should have been, there's miracles that could yet be. There's answers to prayer galore out there that we either haven't received or won't receive, receive simply because we haven't asked. Now the question is, why would anyone not ask? 
Like, why wouldn't you ask in a situation like this? What is there to lose? I mean, the centurion, what is there to lose? He sends messengers to Jesus. Could you please heal my servant? Jesus turns and just goes and heals him. So what's there to lose? Why would people not ask? I mean, it just seems like too good an offer to pass up. And I think there's lots of reasons. I just want to highlight three. And the third one is the most, is the biggest one. I, but I'll, I'll just highlight three things that I think stop us from asking. And I think the first one is pride. Certainly pride is one of them. I think for lots of people, Christians, and, and we would never say that we don't need God. No Christian would ever say that. We would all say, consciously would say we need God. But I think a lot of Christians are just so used to taking care of themselves. They're relatively successful in life. They just make decisions. They consider themselves tough. You know, I'll just kind of roll. And they would never say that I don't, I don't need God or I don't need God to help me. And they may pay lip service to prayer and they go to church, all this sort of stuff. But really when it comes down to it, you can see that they don't need God because they never call out to him. They never ask him for help. Basically, they've got life kind of figured out. It's not perfect, but, but ah, we just kind of figure it out. And, and it's pride. I think in some cases, some of those people even might be tinged a little bit with anger. If they, if they dug really deep, if they really uh, thought about it a little bit and, and looked inside a little bit, they would see that somewhere maybe in their life they feel like God let them down and now they're a little bitter. It's like, well, it looks like I've got to just take care of myself. They, they feel like there was prayers they prayed and that they needed God and he didn't answer. And now I'm kind of, they still go to church, they still believe in God and all sort of stuff, but there's a little bit chip on their shoulder towards God and I've I got to take care of myself. And you can just see in the way they live. They just make their decisions. They make big decisions. They don't ask God. They do all kinds of things. You know, they're good people, but they just don't feel like they need God pride. So they don't ask him. They don't ask him. I think a second one is laziness and distraction. I think some people, they just don't take the time to pray. For some people, the needs that they have are too painful. They actually don't want to face up to it. Isn't that true sometimes? Sometimes there's things, I don't even want to go there. The needs in my marriage or the needs in my soul or the need of my kids are so big I'm actually scared I don't want to touch it they just distract themselves distract themselves with work distract themselves with media there's just to, to actually get up and grapple with these things in prayer they don't have the strength to do it so they don't ask Jesus there's a third one and I think this is the biggest one I think there's a third one why many Christians just don't ask I mean the moment we look to the father's heart when you ask he wants to answer why would we not ask I think the biggest thing that keeps us from asking is just rank unbelief. I think this is the biggest one. And it's not unbelief. It's not that we don't believe God exists. If you're a Christian, you believe God exists. Yes, that's why you go to church. Of course. You believe God exists? Yes. You believe in the Bible? You believe if someone says, does God answer prayer? Yes. But actually, deep down, sometimes in some of our hearts, we really don't believe that if I, if I get up in the morning and I ask God to help me, or at nighttime, whenever it is, but if I actually would set aside some time and I would really pray about this situation, God actually would love to hear my prayer. And he would love to begin an answer. If we actually believe that at the core of our being, you know, what, you know what the evidence of that would be? We would pray. If you actually believe the core of your being, the God of the universe, I mean, think about it. It's, it's the greatest offer it's just unbelievable. The God of the universe who made everything that exists, nothing is impossible for him. Nothing. Nothing is too hard for him. He made everything that exists with a word from his mouth, and he says, 
I would love for you to come and ask me anything. Come to me with your desires. Come to me with your needs, and I will answer. It's such a mind-blowing offer. It's just almost unbelievable. How could anyone not take advantage of it? The only re- or one of the biggest reasons why people don't take advantage of it is they really don't believe it's that good. They don't believe it's, that, that, it's not actually that true. And that's just unbelief. Unbelief. You know what's amazing to me? Even when you pray the wrong things, he still answers. I mean, I think maybe as part of unbelief, I think sometimes we're worried because we think, well, yeah, sure, he answers any prayer request if I pray the right spiritual ones. But if I'm just praying kind of the things I really care about, he doesn't really answer those. Absolutely not true. Or if I'm not praying exactly the thing alongside with his will, like sometimes people have this idea like, well, I don't know exactly what God wants me to pray in this situation, so then I'm not going to get my prayer answered. A child does not worry with their parent, am I asking the right thing? They just say what's on their heart. This is what I feel like I need. And it is true, sometimes when we pray to God, we can't see the future. We don't know all things. It's true that sometimes, I know for sure I've done it many times, we pray for things we have no idea what we should be praying for. In fact, I have prayer requests in my life that I'm glad. Isn't it true? Do, some, do any of you have prayer requests that you're glad God didn't answer them that way? It's like, whoo-wee, thank you for not answering. Thank you you didn't answer exactly. Because he knows. He's too good for that. He's not going to give you a gift where he knows, where like right now in the moment you really want it, but two years from now, you're going to regret it for the rest of eternity. He'll never give you a gift like that. That's not a good gift. But here's the thing. When you go to an, him and ask him for the wrong gift, if you go to him with a sincere heart and you just, you just need him, and it says, I just need help. All, all I know is I need help. I'm praying for this. And he goes, well, actually, I know you think you want that in the moment, but actually I am doing such a much bigger thing. It doesn't matter in that moment that you prayed the wrong thing. He just answers and gives you the right thing. I love a quote. I came across this quote uh, from Timothy Keller. And uh, I think it's a great quote about prayer and about this exact thing. But he says this, God will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. Isn't that a great way? So now, but again, even with this, look at this. The only people that lose are who? The ones who don't ask. The only ones who, who don't, the only ones who lose are the ones who don't ask. Because even the ones who ask wrong, God just goes to your future self and he says to your future self, who can now see everything with the perspective of eternity, what do you want from the bottom of your heart? And your future self says, well, I actually don't want that exactly what I was asking for, but I want something much better. And God says, yes, I give it to you. Because you asked the wrong thing, but you needed my help. And because you asked anything at all, I'm going to give you the best possible gift. And in eternity, you'll be so happy you got exactly the answer you were looking for. The only people who don't get answers are the ones who don't ask. Are the ones who don't ask. You never lose when you call out to God. So why aren't we all rushing into his presence? Unbelief. Well, if unbelief is the problem... What do we need to believe in order to be motivated to pray? Just two very simple things. Believe that God does answer your prayers. Believe that God can answer your prayers. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe. What must they believe? Right? Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe something. One, that he exists. And two, that he rewards those who seek him. Everyone who asks receives. 
Praying to God is a win-win situation. You never lose when you ask God. Those who looked to him are radiant, Psalm 34, verse 5. Their faces shall never be ashamed. And this is what we see with the centurion. If we go back to Luke 7 now and finish this message. So when Jesus was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, first thing here, has any of you ever thought that was weird? I mean, my entire life, I have read this story, and I thought, that is weird. It doesn't, and it doesn't seem sincere. Like, you asked him for help, now you don't want him coming under your roof. Like, it almost seems to me, like, are you hiding something? Like, why? Why, yeah. Like, it doesn't, and see, it almost seems like, you know, okay, I'm not worried about it. Okay, a little bit of false humility there, Centurion. But it just seems like you don't want Jesus in your house. That's just weird, okay? But I, I read something this week. The reason I bring it up is because this week, one of the commentaries, I was just looking up some stuff about the story. I learned something I never saw before. Uh, and, of course, we can't be sure because the, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but it's certainly a good possibility, I think. As one commentator said, um, uh, just reminded me of the fact that in, in Jewish culture that day, the Pharisees, the, the, everybody, the strict observant Jews had this thing. It wasn't from the Old Testament uh, law, but it was something that they had made up, one of their man-made things, was that it was considered scandalous. We actually see this in a number of places in the, in the New Testament. Paul dealt with it a, a lot of times in his later letters. But it was considered scandalous for a Jew to go into a Gentile's home or to eat with a Gentile. And it's a possibility here, and again, the Bible doesn't tell us his motivation, so we don't know for sure, but it seems like a good possibility that uh, the, the reason the centurion is saying, please don't come into my house, is he actually cares about Jesus. He's, he's trying to prevent Jesus from running into problems with religious leaders, knowing that if, if Jesus comes into his house, and look at that Jesus was willing to go into his house. Jesus was willing to do it. He went with them. He was just going to go in. But the centurion, out of the goodness of his heart, is saying, you know what, don't come, into my, don't come into my house. It's actually going to cause you troubles. He actually cares about Jesus' reputation. Amen. So he sends and says, don't, don't, you don't have to come under my roof. I, I thought that was kind of a neat explanation. And, and uh, again, probably just an example of, of what a good heart this guy has. But anyway, verse 7, Therefore I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. That's belief. The, the centurion, first of all, had to believe that Jesus would want to answer his request or at least he would have a chance of, of having his request answered. That's why he asked in the first place. But then he also believed to the core of his being that if Jesus would want to answer, he could. And that's what motivated the whole question. He would want to and he could, right? That's belief. And then verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Have I found such faith, right? And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. That's faith. Faith is you believe God is good and God wants to answer your prayers and the result is you actually go and ask him and as a result, you get answers because he always answers when his kids ask. Not always exactly what you asked, but in for the eternal good and sometimes we suffer and we wonder, God, why haven't you relieved me of this suffering? But even in that, when we ask, he's moving. There's all kinds of things. He's turning things for your good. He's giving you strength to go through it. When you ask, he's answering. And Jesus says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. faith. Faith is the thing that motivates you to pray. It's the belief in the core of your being that if I ask him, he's going to do something. He's going to move on my behalf. He's going to reward me. Now I want to repeat something that I said last week. Faith is not a feeling. The sign of faith is an action. And I want to finish this message now. I want to go back and show you a verse from Luke 18, The Persistent Widow. 
If we just pick up again verse 5, yet because of this widow keeps bothering me, this is the unjust judge, right? She's persisting and she's breaking him down. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Okay, so there's that thing. Jesus says he's looking for persistent prayer, but now look at the next line. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now that's an interesting statement. Jesus says, when I come back, am I going to find faith on the earth? Now in the West... We look at that verse out of its context and we think Jesus is coming back. He's looking for faith. When we think of the word faith, we think of people who go to church and believe that Jesus exists. In the context of this parable, that is not what Jesus is talking about. In the context of this parable, he says, I'm coming back to the earth and I want to see, I'm looking to see if I'll find any faith on the earth. But in the context of this parable, what is he looking for? He's looking for people who are persisting in prayer day and night. The sign of faith here, faith is not a feeling. It's not just something you think in your head. The sign that you have faith is that you're one of these people who will cry out to him day and night. You have a need and you will never give up because you believe in your heart that he is good and when you pray, he answers. That's faith because it makes you want to pray and it drives you into prayer and it motivates you to pray. A person who doesn't believe that at the core of their being, they might pray a little bit and then give up or they might not pray at all which means they don't have faith. They really don't believe deep down that God is good or that he answers prayer. But those who have faith will pray, and the sign of faith is that persistent prayer. Well, it's prayer and fasting month, and it's time to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, right? We don't need lots more teaching how to pray. I just showed you from the scriptures again the importance and power of prayer, but we don't need lots more teaching on prayer. We just need to pray. And so I just have a challenge for you this week. I, I set it up. I warned you about it last week. You came back to church, so you weren't too scared of it, obviously. But I just want to encourage us. I would love for us to do, just across the church this, this week, is do a church-wide wide, uh, three-day food fast and for us to seek God from Tuesday, and Thursday to, from Tuesday to Thursday together. Do you really believe that God, do you really believe everything I'm just showing you here? And I could show you so many more passages that if we ask, God will answer. And imagine if we had, as, as an entire church, if we just sought God's face this week and put aside distractions and put away a whole bunch of things, and for three days, if as a church, we just sought God and said, Lord, we want to see you move. Do you think he would answer? I know he will, because that's what his word says. I know he's going to move. I know he's going to answer. And then you can, again, you can go to the front page of our website. You can sign up. I'll, I'll write a little devotional those three days. I'm going to break the, my fast on Thursday night at supper. Uh, you can do it however you want, but three days. Let me give you a couple of tips on this, how to fast. First of all, if you're a kid, a middle school kid, a high school kid, something like that, uh, don't, don't, this isn't for you, okay? This is, this is for adults. Uh, you eat food and drink milk and grow and, and be healthy, and someday you'll get your own chance to fast, and you'll be happy, so happy when that day comes. Um, if you have just a little bit of wisdom, as long as to say these things, I, if you have health issues, diabetes, stuff like that, you can't go without food, uh, then don't do it, okay? Do something else, okay? Don't do something stupid and then blame me, okay? You, you, if you have health issues, don't do it, okay? That, I'm just telling you, then find something else and, and do another fast. You can join us. There's other ways you can fast, okay? That's really important. Uh, those of you who are going to do it, and again, you'll be amazed at what those of you who, have, who, who don't have, you know, kinda, those health, kind of health issues that can 
do that for you. Drink lots of juice. You'll be amazed. So many studies have been done uh, on how healthy actually it is to do food fasting like this from time to time for a couple of days at a time. Uh, Drink lots of juice, and you'll be amazed at what your body can do. Okay? But if at any point during the fast, you just feel like, I'm going to die. Now... We're all probably going to feel that a little bit. I know from the past that I will feel that a little bit. And, but, but you know the difference between you're actually going to die and you're just very hungry. If you're actually going to die, do you know what you do? You just break your fast. Is that easy? Do you need to write that down? Okay. It's not a sin. Some people get all freaked out. They're talking to me like, like what happens if I break a fast? You're not going to hell. God's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. It's not bad. I remember reading a book once. This guy was on a long uh, he, was a long, he was big in a fasting, very, very big in a fasting. But he, and he had, was doing a 40-day fast. In the middle of his fast, he was overcome with hunger the one day. He was in his kitchen, which is a place you should not go during a fast. And uh, anyway, there was a bag of chips there. He just ripped the bag of chips open and, and ate the entire bag of chips. And you think, now what would you do after that? Most of it, I would just, well, then I'm pulling out the eggos and we're just going to town now. Because <laughs> the fast is over. You know what he did? He was just like, oh, Shoot. Well, and then he just kept going on his fast. He did a 40-day fast with a bag of chips in the middle, okay? (laughs) Which is probably extremely unhealthy. But anyway, um, the point is, it's not a sin. This isn't a whole big legalism thing. And if you, you you know, whatever, if you're having some health problems, then you just pull out. That's totally fine, okay? But let's seek God together. Why? The point of fat, and again, we're also setting aside, you're not just, and I said this last week, this is so important. Don't just say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this fast with the church. It's going to be amazing. And then you stop eating for Tuesday to Thursday, but you, keep, but you don't set aside any extra time for prayer. That's not fasting. That's a diet. And we're not calling a church-wide diet this week. That's not what this is, okay? You can diet anytime you want, but this is a church-wide fast. You set aside extra time for prayer. Why? Because you want to become more spiritual to God? No, because he loves you already. And if you will call on his name, think right now about some of the things going on in your life that you wish God would do, things that you desire more than anything else. I wish God would do this in my family. I wish God would do this in my life. I wish he would break this in me. I wish he would change this. I wish he would help me. If we call on his name, 100% he hears and he will answer. And the gears of heaven will be moving because we are seeking him this week. And he'll be answering and it'll be awesome. I'm so looking forward to the answers. More than I'm looking forward to being hungry, I'm, I'm looking forward to answers. Two last things I want to leave you for things to pray. I, I thought it'd be really cool. We're all going to have our own personal things that we're praying about for sure. And I've got a whole bunch of things I'm praying about personally. And it's going to be amazing. And there's a bunch of us staff. We're fasting for, for guidance from the Lord this week. And we're going to have some prayer meetings together. And, and we're just seeking God speak to us for this next year. All that stuff is going to be amazing. But I thought it'd be great if we had a corporate request that we were all praying for together. And uh, the one I would like us to pray for is this year, one of our big prayer requests is going to be this whole thing that's going down at the Supreme Court with Trinity Western. It just so impacts our religious freedoms. It has huge implications for us. The, the decision probably won't come down now for the next five or six months, but this will be one of our big prayer requests for the year, for 2018. What would happen if 1,000 of us or 1,200 of us or 1,500 of us all fasted together Tuesday to Thursday and humbled ourselves before God and said, Lord, we are praying for a country. And we are praying about the Supreme Court case. And we, we care about this, Jesus. And we, we want to spread the gospel. We want to spread church renewal. And we pray that you would protect our religious freedoms for that reason. And we just began to listen and pray to God. I wonder what God would do. I'll tell you what he'll do. He's going to answer. 
He's going to answer. That's what he's going to do. And I don't even know all the stuff he's going to do. He's going to go above and beyond. He's going to go deeper. He's going to go more eternal. But he's going to answer those prayer requests. And so I'd ask that in addition, every day this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, in addition to the personal ones, if you would take a few minutes and let's pray for our country and for this Supreme Court case to be amazing. And then in all of these prayer requests, let's be thankful. It's going to fill you with faith. You're going to, by the end of Thursday night, you're just spending all this time in praying and you're thanking God in advance. Lord, I'm praying for this and I'm thankful you're already being the answer. I'm thankful for what you're doing that I can't see. You're going to be so filled with faith. And this year we're going to see God do great things. Amen? Bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit speak to you for just a moment. Maybe there's something from this challenge. Maybe there's something from this message that he just wants to drive home in a new way. I want to give him an opportunity to do that. Holy Spirit, we want, to, we want to fast and pray together as a church this week, and we are so looking forward to the ways that you're going to answer our prayers. We're so looking forward to it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, in advance for what you're going to do in our lives, for what you're going to do in this church, for what you're going to do in our families and our marriages and our kids. It's going to be amazing. We're looking forward to it. Now, Jesus, I just ask, is there... Is there anything else you want to say? Is there something? Maybe some of us came in here and were thinking, well, I don't know if I want to do the challenge. I don't want to. And maybe you just want to say, here's something you can do. Or here's something you can do. You want to challenge us. Or maybe you want to say, jump on board and go with it. Or there's something else from the message you want to just encourage us with, Lord Jesus. We just want to give you a moment to speak to us. Thank you so much, Jesus. Be with us this week. May we sense your presence. Give us many promises. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.